you, Brother John. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be back with you this morning. Hi, Robin. Okay. That's awesome. We were talking about Robin earlier today. She's going to fit right into heaven, isn't she? Amen to that. Uh, today we're going to go back to Corinthians uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, if you want to take your Bible there. Uh, remember, we first started in this uh, a month or two ago, and we talked about how uh, Paul was addressing the division that was in the church in the first four chapters of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're going to get back to that topic. And, and today I want uh, to uh, talk to you about a little bit about what Brother John read, a little bit about what Kevin read, and a little bit about what we're going to read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So you find that. Stand with me as you... Uh, Turn to that page. We will begin reading in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Amen. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace God, I'm sorry, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a master wise builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, bless your word today in our heart and in this place. Father, let your truth ring loud and clear. Let us see ourselves today, Lord, in these scriptures. Let us see ourselves as you see us this morning. Father, let us make the adjustment that you require. Let us make the adjustment that's to our benefit. Father, let us hear your spirit speak to us. Father, move in this place today. Let your spirit dwell here. Let him have his way with us as your people. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Back to Corinth we go. What a great place Corinth was. We uh, have uh, two books attributed to Corinth. A lot of problems there for some reason in the church at Corinth. A lot of issues that Paul needed to take care of. Paul started the church there in Corinth. And then he moved on to start other churches, and then he heard word that so many problems and issues in Corinth. Just in a short amount of time, a year and a half or so, now he's writing back to the church to make correction and to show them uh, the error of their thinking, the way that they have been handling things. The church in Corinth was operating 
in a worldly sense instead of a spiritual sense. The church in Corinth was divided because they were picking and choosing men that they liked and men that they disliked. They were picking and choosing and and operating under the influence of uh, the worldly philosophy and worldly religion. Paul addressed that. He called that the natural thinking, right? And then he said, here's how the church should operate under the spiritual thinking. And what was happening in the church in Corinth seems to be happening in churches all over the world today. Amen. We have problems in churches. We have needs to read the Bible. We have reasons to uh, discern and to dissect and to figure out and to understand. Paul addressed them here in verses 1 through 4 as mere babies in Christ. Even though he says you should have been grown up by now, I'm having to go back to the beginning with you. I'm having to start things over. Why? What happened? They were growing when Paul was there. They were growing when Apollos was there. But now they are not growing. What has happened? They became fleshly again. They begin to think with a worldly wisdom. Just like in churches today, we sometimes get away from the idea of what a church really is. It's a body with a head, a living being who is the head. He is in charge of His church. Look back in chapter 1, if you would. Verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, to the church of men which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Is that what it said? Of course not. Whose church is it? To the church of God. It's His church. You see, they needed to understand that. They were making decisions based upon their operation as worldly people with worldly wisdom. And this brought deception into their church and division everywhere. All over this world, churches today are being run like a religious business like a religious club, and that all of the decisions are being made for the benefit of the club members, the benefit of the members of the church, rather than for the benefit of the head of the church. Decisions are made in such a way that democracy is how we live, therefore democracy must operate in the church. That's how we do it. And so the government of the church now becomes a congregational decision instead of the head making the decisions. Instead of the head programming. Instead of the head planning. Instead of the head operating as he does. The final authority then, because of congregational government, is left to the people. We the people in the church. That's how we operate. That's how we're supposed to operate. We live in a democracy. The scriptures, however, teach a different philosophy of government. The church is a body made up of individual parts. The government is the head. The government is Christ. He makes the decisions. He runs the church. He operates. He programs. He does the things that we should follow and that we should be adhering to. What happens in the church today and all over the world is that money is important to us. We must have money to operate. So money becomes important to the church. 
And we make decisions based on the importance of money in the church. Instead of listening to the head, instead of following his leadership, instead of following his program. Numbers become important. We go out of our way to build our numbers in the church today. We want people to see our success, and success is measured in numbers. The more numbers, the more success. Amen? Nowhere in the scriptures do you find that philosophy or that thinking or that kind of government. But for some reason, we today see that as important. Democracy in the church. The church run by the people. The church run by committees. Where do you find committees in the scriptures? We don't find them there, do we? But we want people to have a place to serve, so we form committees, making things operate. But our decisions then are based upon a committee meeting instead of based upon what the Lord says. Instead of based upon His goal for our church. Instead of based upon His plan for our church. I'm not minimizing or trying to tear down the way we do things at the church, but I want us to understand that if the Lord is leading, all the committees line up together. The pastor lines up with the committees. The youth pastor, the music minister, the janitor, the guy who mows the grass, we all line up together if the Lord is leading us. This was a problem in Corinth. And today, it is a problem in churches worldwide. We try to operate with a natural human philosophy. And Paul already addressed this the last time you and I were together, that God has given us a hidden wisdom by which we should operate. The wisdom of God. And so Paul continues with this thinking, trying to teach the church at Corinth to correct the things that they're doing, to correct the way that they're going. So let's go back to the very beginning Even before the church in Corinth, let's go back to the beginning of us. All right? And where did God put us? In the garden. In a garden, in the book of Genesis, God put man in a garden. Now, I I could imagine all kinds of ideas and, and ways that God could have wanted to be with us. You know, that was the idea of the garden. He with us and us with Him. That was the whole plan. And and sin came in and and ruined that. It separated us from a holy God, this sin. But God could have put us in a condominium together. Or He could have put us on a beach somewhere in Hawaii. And we all would have suntans and we would enjoy... Uh, the, the coconut milk, and we would just have a grand time. Heaven would be like a beach, or heaven could be like a condominium. I'm sure somebody in New York City thinks that heaven a, is a high rise, right? You and I here would think that heaven would be somewhere out in a field with a, with a farm pond and a, and a creek running through it. That would be heaven for us here in Oklahoma. But God chose a garden. Why? I don't know. I do know this, that was his choice. He purchased it. He bought it. It cost him dearly. It cost him his life to put his people in a church, which he describes here a little bit as a field, as a building. We can picture it as a garden, can't we? That's how it started. 
And so I sometimes think this, that he paid way too much for me. Amen. He paid way too much for this boy. I'm not deserving of what he paid. He gave his life for me. The book of Matthew and Mark teach us about the sower and the seed, right? And the, the seed was the word of God and it fell on four different types of soil which represents you and me. The soil. The soil represents our heart. And so some of the soil fell on this type of soil, some fell on this type of soil, some fell on this type of soil. And each of those soils is you and I. So God planted a seed in the soil of our heart. And He chose to do it in such a way that you and I would grow up. And the Bible describes us as the bride of Christ. It describes us as living stones built up into a temple of God. It describes us as a field here in Corinthians as a garden, so to speak, a beautiful place that we would grow together and, and be together. But all of this was God's doing. It was God's choice to make it this way. He purchased us. He dug and cultivated our heart, our soil. He plowed us over. He planted in us. He watered us. And He protected us. This was all His choosing. However he wanted to do it, this is how he wanted to do it. Not a high rise, not a beach in Hawaii, not a field in Oklahoma, but a garden or a temple. That's how God chose it. That's what he wanted to do. It was his church of God. Amen. Amen? So along comes man into this beautiful church and we're born again, but we carry the philosophy of the world we came from into the church. And we operate that way. Democracy. Amen. Christianity is not a democracy. I want you to know that. What is it? What would we describe it as? Christianity is a monarchy. There is a king and we are subjects under him. That's it. Amen. When we get to heaven, we won't be voting. <laughs> okay? We won't have meetings where we vote and we want this to be done and we want that to be done. And let's spend money on this and let's do that. There won't be any of that. Amen. Because it's not in the scripture. We'll be operating on the king's edict. What the king says. And you and I will be the subject. That's really how it should be now. But we have failed to operate that way because we think better and we have wisdom and we have division. Some of them liked Paul's preaching. Some of them liked Apollos' preaching. Paul admits, hey, I'm not an orator. All right, I'm not a good speaker. But Apollos was a Greek and he was very good at conversation. He was very good at putting words together to bring it to a point. Some of them liked Paul, his bluntness, to the point. Some of them liked the eloquence of Apollos. Paul says, what is Paul? What is Apollos? They're nothing. They're nothing. They are servants. They're servants. 
that God used at a particular time in your life. So the things you gleaned and got from Paul, you got. But guess what? Apollos had some things too. You may not have liked the way he did it, but he had something to teach you. They were nothing compared to God who causes the growth. Division happens when you and I start thinking about ourselves instead of Him. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Nothing, Paul says, but servants that God used at different times as the opportunity arose for each one to be used. God chose it this way. Because God chose to have us as a field, as a temple, as a garden, however we want to see that, I would venture to say this, that Nobody around here goes out and sits in their tractor and plows up their ground and plants the seed for amusement. Now, there might be some poor old soul that does that, but I would venture to say most people that put the effort in and the labor to cultivate and plant expect something out of that field. They expect a harvest. Amen? So if God dug the soil of your heart, and He watered, He planted the seed of His Word in your heart, and He watered that, and He protects that, wouldn't you think, church, that He expects a harvest out of that? Amen. Amen? I believe so, and I think you do too. God expects return for His investment. His investment in you. And so, that's His choice. That's what He has done. That's what He expects. Most churches, however, as I said, have forgotten this because we put the me disease in the church. Most people today go to church because the church can do something for me. The church can take me somewhere. The church can do this for me. The church can give that to me. The church can operate like this for me. Hey, it's great to come to church expecting But don't expect the church to do something for you. Expect God to do something for you. And then in return of that investment that God puts on you, now He expects you to do something for Him. He calls you a laborer. He calls you a servant. He doesn't call you a, a satisfied board member. He doesn't call you the chairman of the board. He calls you a servant, and that's what he expects, a return on his investment. So, because of this return on investments, God must call laborers into the field. He must call men and women to serve him in a capacity that would enhance his harvest. Hence, preachers. Hence, music ministers. Youth pastors. Sunday school teachers. And it goes on down the line to each and every one of us in this room. We are all laborers together with God. You're not off the hook because you're not getting paid. You're not off the hook because you haven't volunteered. You're on the hook because you are a Christian and you are a believer in Christ. And so God calls people into the harvest. What did Jesus say to His disciples? As the harvest came over the hill, and they were sitting at the well, and he turned and he looked at him coming, and he said, Ah, 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is much to be done in the garden of God, in the kingdom of God, in the temple of God. There's much to do. But there are so few workers. Why? Because everybody's thinking about me. What can the church do for me? What am I going to get out of that? What am I going to receive from the church instead of what I can do in the garden of God? I want you to notice in verse 6, this labor is divided among the workers. Look in verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. One plants, one waters, but God does the growing. Here's what happens. I don't like his planting. I don't like the way he plants. I don't like the way he waters. I don't like the way he prays. I don't like the way he teaches. I don't like this. I don't like that. Paul says that's the problem. Those men, women, were put here at particular times, in particular stages, for a purpose. This one didn't teach you what this one's going to teach you. This one didn't teach you what this one has taught you. Amen? And so that's how it works. We, and I'm guilty of this. I remember going to a church in Godibo and I wasn't getting fed. I wasn't getting what the pastor was teaching. He wasn't striking to me and hitting me with the scriptures. And you know what happened? I had to go talk to somebody. I went outside the church and I went and talked to a friend of mine. And he said, Brother Clay... I wasn't a brother then. I was a Christian, but I wasn't called Brother Clay. He said, Clay, here's your problem. I said, boy, I can't wait. He's going to tell me what to do to fix my problem. He said, you're the problem. I said, what are you talking about? I'm the problem. He said, you're the problem. Paul watered Apollos. I mean, Paul planted Apollos watered. You don't like the way Apollos is watering. But God put that pastor in that church to teach you something. And now you're going into that church with your heart covered up. Nothing can penetrate that. You are the problem, Clay. And man, I had to fix that. I had to rearrange it. You know what I did? I prayed, God, let me hear you speak to me. And I fell in love with that pastor. All over again, because I was the problem. Me. Hey, the guy before him was great, man, great speaker. This new pastor come, he couldn't speak his way out of a wet paper bag. But you know what he could do? He could love people like I never saw before. And he took people that were neglected in that church, and he brought them out of the woodwork. Things changed. Was it what I wanted? No. But my heart was wrong. My heart was broken. My heart needed the fixing. Paul Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. You see that? So, because of this call, because of this garden effect, God calls laborers. 
And you and I have to understand, look in verse 8, that these laborers are doing something. Now he who plants, look in verse 8 with me, don't look at me, look in verse 8. Come on. He who plants and he who waters are divided, are one. That is not a one O-N-E with a numerical definition. Okay? It's not like a marriage where the two become one. These men, this one, is not by numerical importance, but it is by being united in the Scriptures, being united in the teaching, being united in the bringing out of the Gospel to people in different ways. This is what that one means, serving the same purpose. So my heart wasn't fixed at Godibo until I prayed for my pastor. The one who couldn't reach me with his teaching and his work and his study and his words. My heart wasn't fixed until I started praying for him. And I found that my prayers were really for me. That my heart would be softened, that my heart would be changed, that I would be accepting of the man that God placed in that position for that moment in time in my life. You see that? That's what the scripture is telling us here. Paul came at a proper time. Paul laid the foundation. Apollos came after Paul was gone and Apollos watered that foundation, watered that seed and it began to sprout and grow. And because I didn't like the way that Apollos was watering, God says, those two men are one. The problem is not with them. The problem is with you. The problem is with your heart. And so, each of these men had a purpose. God was doing the growing. These men were simply servants that God sent at a particular time, in a particular place, God's garden, the laborers are united in that purpose. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Amen? They are different, yet they are one with the same message, with the same goal, with the same end. To be taught by God, to be led by God. How important are these laborers that God sends? Let's look and see verse 7. So then, the one who plants, nor the one who waters, is anything. Whoa, wait a minute. I thought they were everything to the church. Right? Sometimes the church sets up the pastor as the head. He's not the head. The pastor is not the leader of the church. Christ is the leader of the church. Amen? So, it has to be in this way. How important is this laborer? How important is your Sunday school teacher? If you go to Sunday school for the teacher, you're going for the wrong reason. If you're coming to Aaron Springs to hear the preaching, you're coming for the wrong reason. If you're not coming because I'm preaching, you're not coming for the wrong reason. I am nothing Sunday school teachers are nothing. Music is nothing. Do you understand that, church? He is everything. So the one who plants and the one who waters 
is nothing. But it is God who causes the increase. It is God who causes the growth. How important are these uh, workers, these laborers? They're nothing. They're not anything according to verse 7. Amen? So how did it happen that all of a sudden the growth ceased in this church? Well, here's what happened. They became attached to a man. I like him. And now he's gone and I don't like it anymore. I don't even want to go anymore. What has happened? You became attached to the man. And not God. I'm not going to go because I got this new preacher over there and he's not what I like and what I want to do. You're attached to the man. Don't be attached to the man. They are nothing. It is God who causes the growth. Why am I not growing? Because you've attached yourself to a man instead of attaching yourself to Christ. Who are these laborers? Let's find out who these guys are. Verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a, master, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Who are these laborers that God calls to take care of His garden? Whoever builds on the foundation of Christ. Okay? Now Paul says, but beware. You've got to be careful how you build on that foundation. Right? Some build with gold, silver, and precious stones, as Brother John read a moment ago. Some build with wood, hay, and straw. Some build with eternal things. Some build with temporal things. Now, I like the guy before me because he did a certain way. But this guy now, he doesn't do it like that. And I don't like that. Which one's building with eternal things? Which one's building with temporal things? We don't really know, do we? Until the test comes. What's the test? The day of the Lord. Who are these laborers? Well, they could be men. They could be women. The foundation's laid. These laborers are building upon that. How do they build on it? They influence. They influence these people. They teach the people. They guide the people. Hey, they allow things to take place in the church that we didn't allow before. They neglect this area of life, these builders. They enhance another area. They might ruin another area. We have to be careful, each of us, how we build on the foundation of Christ. Now I want to get past all of the preachers and the Sunday school teachers and the youth pastors and the music, and I want to speak to each one of us in this room as an individual. How are you building on the foundation of Christ in someone else's life? You see, it can be somebody very dear to you, somebody that's not walking with the Lord, but they're watching you. They know you go to church here on Sunday morning. They've heard you talk about it. They're going to watch you. They're going to see how you live. 
They want to know if what you believe and what you say is genuine and real. If you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones, they will see eternal things in the way you live your life. But if you're building on wood, hay, and straw, they will see the temporal things of your life and that it really doesn't matter because you don't even believe what you say. Amen? You're building on the foundation of Christ in the lives of everyone in your circle. Your family, the guys at work, your children, you're building on that foundation by the way you do things, by the way you say things, by the way you talk about people, by the way you lift up people, by the way you tear down people. You're building on that foundation in the lives of those around you. It could be a close friend that you're trying to work on. It could be your spouse. Parents, it could be your children. Who are these workers? I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon that foundation. Are you using those valuable things? Are you using eternal things? Are you speaking and thinking eternally as you build upon this foundation? Or are you using worldly things? Wood, hay, and straw. Worldly wisdom. Worldly approaches to things. Worldly approach to the church and its operation. Worldly approach to how the family functions. Worldly approach to cell phones. Worldly approach to television. Worldly approach to computers. Are you building with that? It will be burned up. The eternal things, we look past the here and now. We look beyond. We see the hidden wisdom of God that Paul's already laid out for us in these Scriptures. Man, we got to be serious about this. The line, as we sang earlier, the line is being drawn in the sand. We've got a side to be on. We've got a decision to make. We are all the laborers of God. We are all building on a foundation of Christ about how we raise our kids, about how we treat those around us at work, about how we see and operate and do things in church, at home, at work. In our circle, we are all laborers building upon this foundation. What happens to these men, these builders uh, up of this foundation? Verse 12, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. What kind of loss could that possibly be? Friends. Family, co-workers, children, the spouse. Man, do you see the importance of this foundation of Christ? And you are building on it. Whether you want to be a builder or not, you are. Amen. 
You've been hooked. You're a Christian. You're a builder. And now you've got materials. Eternal thinking. Temporal thinking. Hidden wisdom. Human wisdom. We are all building on that foundation. Oh God, let us see the importance of this. Look in verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Every way that we live, every guidance that we give our children, everything we allow in our home or at work or at school, everything we teach has an eternal effect upon that foundation in the lives of people we know. Paul can't say it any plainer. Get with it, church. Put aside the human thinking that you've been adhered to and pick up the godly thinking, the eternal things. Teach them. Bring them out. Make them valuable to your family. Let them see. Let me ask you a question right here. Don't raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass any of you. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you that have kids or grandkids that live with you sit down daily with them and have Bible study? I would venture to say very few. That's temporal thinking, isn't it? That's building with wood, hay, and straw upon the foundation of the life of my kids, my grandkids. Challenge you. I challenge you tonight. Sit down with them. Read one chapter. Read ten verses. Then close your Bible and let them talk about it. You'll be building with gold, silver, and precious stones. Amen? You see that? Do it, church. I challenge you. We are all laborers in this garden, in this field. Everything we do has an eternal effect. I pray right now that God would speak to your heart about yours. Let's pray together. Father, bless us as we venture out into this world. And Father, help us to overcome this worldly approach to church. This human philosophy and wisdom of the world. Lord, help us to see your wisdom. Help us to operate with you as our head. Help us to see the importance of every man you bring into our life that teaches us new and different things. Father, grow us up and help us to see and be the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.